Hey guys, uh, this is Laz. We got Trevor Magnotti on from the Step Back and from Fansided to talk about the NBA draft. We're going to ask him about uh, some updates that he's made to his big board. We're going to ask him about individual players. It's going to be great. You guys are going to have a great time. In the meantime, we are brought to you today by Bet Online. March has arrived, and we are only a week away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Will people be at that tournament? No, but the tournament will still happen because there is money to be made. And you can make some money too. You make sure you head over to Bet Online, you open an account, you get in on their $100,000 bracket madness contest starting March 15th. And remember, the NBA, the NBA, and XFL are still going strong. So, whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. You visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. You sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts. Alright y'all, let's start the show. Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane, my goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him. With a bruise, oh, oh, oh. jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pistons versus Everybody on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Joined tonight by Trevor Magnati of the Step Back and Fansided. What's up, Trevor? Doing good. Uh, glad to be back. And uh, Pistons are in a little better position from my perspective so i think we can actually get into the meat of some of the top guys which is a little bit more exciting rather than trying to figure out you know yeah. who's the ninth guy in the worst draft since 2000 that sounds pretty bad so <laughs> yeah yeah like la- last time we talked about anthony edwards and it's like i don't really feel like talking about anthony edwards we don't have to do that if we don't want to so i want to start by talking to you about talking to you about the guy you have at the top of your big board which just released a couple of days ago, and the guy that would be at the top of my big board, and that's Killian Hayes. So, Trevor, how much has Killian Hayes improved over the course of the season uh, in his time in Germany, and how much does that matter? I think it matters a lot because he's gone through a really good skill progression in terms of his ability to take on more on-ball creation responsibilities at the at the professional level. You know, he was a guy who has played that role throughout the year, but really hasn't looked as good as he looked in some of the international events that he participated in as a, as a youth player Um, really until the last couple of months, you know, he through the first uh, two or three months of the year had a turnover rate that was hovering around 30%, which that means he's turning the ball over basically once every three possessions, which is obviously not ideal. Um, So He's really cut down on the turnovers. He looks a lot more comfortable operating in the pick and roll, Um, looks a lot more comfortable shooting off the dribble. Those are all things that I think really propel the idea that this guy is not just somebody who's going to be versatile, not just going to be able to plug in and be able to play some off ball and be able to be a playmaker for an offense. But, you know, now we're talking about this guy may finally be at the point where you can say, yeah, three, four years down the line, he may be able to be your team's top scorer that you're building around. If, if that ends up kind of being real, what he's been going through the second half of the season. 
So the thing that stands out to me when I watch him is his lack of like superior, like run, jump, stop, start, burst athleticism. How much does that matter if we're thinking about him as a guy who's a primary initiator and at the top of this class? Well, I think it matters a little bit because it means that his skill stuff is really going to have to matter then. You know, Anthony Edwards, for all of his faults, he's still built like a middle linebacker and is able to get into the paint whenever he wants against college defenses. And that projects well to the next level, even if, you know, there are other doubts with him. Hayes is not going to be that guy. So he's going to have to rely a lot more on his skill, particularly his passing and the outside shot and his defensive awareness. And I think all three of those things are really good things for him. So, you know, I think that he's going to be a guy who is probably going to have some limitations in terms of his his kind of top-end ability. And that's why I would say that he probably has less star potential than a guy like Edwards does or a guy like Lamelo Ball does because he just doesn't have that top-end athleticism. But still, this is a guy who checks a lot of boxes in terms of the skills that you want a primary or secondary creator to be able to possess. Um, A guy who can kind of fit in a lot of different contexts because of his strengths on both ends of the ball. Um, And I I think that that is what makes him the number one prospect to me in this class is it's more so than the star potential. It's the fact that I this is not a draft where I feel safe about a lot of guys being role or being rotation players for good teams. And he is one of those guys who hits that marker for me. And that's why I have him at the top. So what's his comparison, do you think, at his current NBA comparison? I get I get asked this all the time. The guy I always respond with is like a D'Angelo Russell who cared about defense. But is that fair? Or am I just like lazily comparing like not super athletic left-handed point guards with size? Like, it, you know, what, who, who do you think of him as? No, I, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. I, li- I like that idea. I think there's a lot of different ways that he could go. One guy that I've likened him to is CJ McCollum of uh, Portland. I think that he can fit a similar role as maybe like a secondary creator it, who, if his shooting continues to develop, um, is kind of that elite guy that you can put around, you know, a, pr- a primary guy that you can put around one of the top 10, 15 players in the league and can settle in as like a top 30 player in the league and be able to play off that guy really effectively. Um, so I, I like that as kind of like an upper tier outcome for him. Um, if you're talking strictly, you know, from his point guard skills, um, I think that he's a guy who kind of fits a, or kind of fits a little bit in kind of that like second tier point guard mold. Like think about the way that like a Jeff Teague plays. Um, think, think about the way that like I, uh, I'm struggling for struggling for examples right now, but like a little bit, he's a little bit of a, of a Lonzo ball type too, where he's just kind of this bigger guy who is, has really good passing vision, but you can't really lean on as like a true, like, engine to your offense. Um, I think that's kind of where, where he's going to end up at. Um, I think that he can be that type of guy um, because he's such a good finisher and the shooting should continue to progress. Um, but I think he's going to be kind of on the lower end of that tier of like the guys who can really drive your offense just by themselves. Um so, you know, I, I think there's at the end of the day, there's really not like a good one to one comparison. But I think somewhere between those two outcomes um, in terms of his role is what you can expect if you draft Hayes. Hmm. OK, 
if so if he ends up kind of closer to the taller cj mccollum end of the spectrum what do you think the the best kind of players to surround a guy like that is well i I think it's it's kind of reductive but the best the guys who are the best players in the league right now you know wing creators like Kawhi Leonard um guys guys like that who are going to be able to kind of handle the shot creation aspect to a high degree and kind of let him take like a secondary role in that way um or any of the top tier point guards you know like Russell, uh, Russell Westbrook he'd be a really good fit next to Damian Lillard I think I think he'd be great Victor Oladipo he'd fit really nice nicely next to I think those are the types of guys that you would want to surround him around. I would be hesitant to kind of build a a team aiming with him as your second best player. If you're say like the Sixers and you're trying to build around, you know, like a Joel Embiid and, and him, I think that that fit is a little bit, um, is a little bit worrisome, but I think if you have another really high end perimeter talent that he's going to be able to feed off of, that's the ideal type of guy you want to build around. Okay. So, and in that case, like what, what are the, you know, none of the guys at the, none of the teams at the top of the draft have a Joel Embiid or a Damian Lillard type to play next to, right? So what do you, what do you envision his uh, best scenario for coming into the league to be? Like among the teams that are picking up the top? Yeah, yeah among. Well, Golden, yeah, yeah. Well, Golden State, obviously. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I good, there's, yeah, well, Steph would well, be. We saw, we, we saw a little bit of what happened with D'Angelo Russell, though, right? Like, that kind of, that didn't yeah, work that, as well as we thought. Yeah, that that's true. And and I think that I think that there are, you know, there are pros and cons to kind of the way Steph plays and kind of how that, how that fit works, um, along with pros and cons of how Russell plays and, and how that ended up turning, turning out. Um, I think, I think outside, outside of Golden State, who kind of seems obvious, I would say, I would say maybe a team like Chicago would be a good fit for him. Um, I think Detroit with Blake Griffin could end up being a pretty good fit for him um, just because it would kind of really thrust him into that primary playmaker role and kind of make him learn on the fly. And I think that could end up being good for him as kind of helping him make make mistakes and grow that way. Um, I, I really don't think there's a bad fit for him among the top teams. I mean, even a team like Cleveland who has multiple on-ball guys, I think that he's going to be able to kind of fit in with a roster kind of like they have pretty effectively as well, just because he is such a good team defender and he does have those traits that lend to him being a pretty good off-ball player too, that I think you can work him into a variety of different contexts and have him be successful. Do you ever wonder why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were designed specifically to be worn untucked. No matter your size or your shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. And with more than 50 fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Don't just take my word for it. You try Untucked for yourself. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's pretty nice. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for 20% off your first order. All right, that's about like 10-ish minutes of Killian Hayes talk. I'm not going to make you go all night on Killian Hayes as much as I might like him. But uh, he does kind of lead into something interesting with this draft was the which is the 
relative strength of the point guard crop, you know, with, you know, Killian, LaMelo, Tyrese Maxey, Cole Anthony, Tyrese Halliburton, Kira Lewis, Theo Maladon, Tyrell Terry, which is a dude I had never heard of, and Nico Mannion. You had nine point guards across the top 16 of your big board. Mm-hmm. Is that a sign that this year's point guard class is just like really unusually strong? Or is it that, you know, there's a lack of strength among the other positions available in this year's draft? I think it's more that thing. I think it's a lot like 2017 where, you know, you had the four point guards who went in the top seven um, and, you know, it looked like a really, really deep draft in terms of the point guard class, but really De'Aaron Fox is the only one of those guys who has turned out into being anything that you can really build around. I mean, Lonzo Ball is good, and Markel Fultz seems at least like he's going to salvage his career. But, um, you know, that ended up being kind of disappointing. And I think that's kind of how this point guard class has turned out as well. You know, it came into the year looking really strong. Um, Anthony looked like the potential number one pick. Ball looked like a potential top five pick. There was Maxi who was kind of waiting in, waiting in the wings. Mannion, who looked pretty strong. And a lot of those guys have disappointed, you know, Maxi has really struggled to have an impact at Kentucky. And a lot of that has to do with his role, but it makes you wonder, is this guy actually a point guard or is he more kind of like along the Marcus Smart um, combo guard who is best not being your primary ball handler? Um, and Nico Mannion has been completely avoiding the rim for the entire year. And there are real questions about whether or not he's going to be able to score at the next level. Um, Cole Anthony, there are questions about whether he's going to be able to score efficiently at the next level. I think it speaks more to kind of the weakness of the other positions in the class. I mean, you, you rattled off that number of names, the, uh, the centers who are in the top 30 of our board are a Kong um, who, who we have at who we have at number two, Xavier Tillman, James Wiseman, and that's it. Those are the only those are the only true bigs that we have in the top thirty. So it's a really weak big man class, and that's kind of allowed some of these ball handlers that you know may not be lottery type picks in your typical draft. They've kind of filtered their way up, and now they're kind of sitting in in that back half of the top ten at back end of the lottery. Um, and I think there are some good talents here and there are going to be probably three, four starting level NBA point guards in this class. Um, But I don't think that all of these guys should be viewed as locks to be able to make it. Okay. That no, And you know, you think about a league that's already full of talent at the guard position, you know, there's not necessarily a ton of space for all of these guys to just come in and immediately, you know, be thrust into starting level possessions or even like rotation positions. Um, you know, and with that in mind, like, would a team at the top of the draft be better suited to, you know, taking a swing at, you know, some of these wing prospects that are perhaps not as developed or uh, not as uh, don't have like the skill level that some of these point guards have, but, you know, are wings and that's the currency of the league right now yeah I I definitely think there's some credence to that and I think there are a lot of wings who may not be star level talents or all-star level talents but look like they're going to be guys who fit well within a rotation you know guys who have the skills that you want your complementary wings to have Um, and you know that's why we have guys like Devin Vassell and Isaac Okoro in the top 10 is because they may not be star level talents but they're guys who you can pretty reliably predict to plug and play into a rotation and and be able to have success 
Um, and I, I think that it's a good class for that, particularly on the defensive end. I really like the defensive profiles of pretty much every wing that we have in the top 30. I mean, even when you get down the board to guys like jo- uh, Josh Green, um, to Tyler Bay, to Desmond Bain, pretty much every big man who is in that top level of the of the draft class at least looks like a passable defender at at an NBA level. And I think that that's huge um, because offensive skills are easier to build on than than defensive skills are. And I think that that is going to make some of these guys look a little bit more valuable than they may look in a, in a typical draft because of kind of the relative talent around them. And also kind of that relative defensive strength compared to your typical wing crop. Okay. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about Okoro specifically last time I had you on the podcast, but in the meantime, he's dropped from four to 10 on your, on your collective big board. Um, what, what has, you know, precipitated that? Has it just been his struggles in SEC play offensively? Was it the injury? What, what was up? Yeah, it's the struggles on offense. Um, Jackson's the main driver of that. I still have Okoro at seven. Jackson, I think has him down at like 12 or 13 um, on his board. But I think I think that there is a lot of worry about how effective he's going to be on the offensive end in the NBA. I am of the opinion that he's a guy who you kind of can fit into that like Marcus Smart, Draymond Green type role where, you know, he is such a good defender that he really only needs to be good at one thing and at least comfortable with a couple other skills, even if he's not particularly good at them um, to be able to make it. And I think that there is doubt whether he's going to be able to make that spot. I mean, his jumper is completely, um, is completely needing to be built from the ground up. Um, He doesn't even look comfortable taking threes off the catch. He would much rather drive in that situation. And I think that that's a little bit worrisome. I do by the playmaking. I think that that's the area where he's going to be the most effective, but he needs to become like a Draymond or Marcus smart, at least comfort level as a shooter um, to at least be respected and be able to provide that spacing of teams, recognizing that the shots going up and not just completely dismissing it and sagging way off. And which he, when he catches on the perimeter, Um, whether or not he's able to get to that point, is going to ultimately decide, you know, how successful a prospect he is. And and when you're trying to wager where you feel like the likelihood of that is when you're ranking prospects, I kind of tend to lean more towards the lower end of kind of like you have the doubt that that's going to come um, when he's so far behind. And I think that that's kind of the main thing that we've soured on as he as he's gone on is is just his offensive utility looks extremely limited. So conversely, right, we've had a guy like Devin Vassell rise on your board from 24 to 9. And, you know, Vassell's a guy who's a much better, you know, off-movement shooter. Not necessarily the the team defender or the individual defender Okoro is. But, uh, you know, you, at this point, you have him above him just because of, like, the, the versatility on, on both ends. Um, you know, if you're a team looking for a wing prospect, are you looking more at Devin Vassell or are you looking more at like Denny Advija? I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Good. Yeah, I, th- I think Abdija is the guy who I would lean more towards just because I think that he has shown a larger body of work in kind of a more impressive environment at Maccabi Tel Aviv. I mean, he pretty much has taken to running the show in the Israeli league. They 
oftentimes will just dump the ball to him if the offense is stalled out with five seconds left, which is just an incredible thing to say that they feel comfortable. A team that is a top flight Euro league team this year feels comfortable just dumping the ball and asking Abdija, an 18 year old to go get a bucket for them. That's for, that says a lot, even if it's not come, being met with a ton of success right now um, consistently. Um, I, I think that he has kind of the upper tier talent because he's such a good ball handler because he's such a good decision maker with the ball in his hands I think I think that that edges him ahead for me and he is the guy who I think kind of is going to be the most reliable guy if you're looking among the true wing prospects in this class to be able to take I think that he's going to be a guy who really kind of shoots up the board in the pre-draft process. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him go top three when it's all said and done, just because of how well he's been playing lately. See, the main concern for me with Denny is the level of competition, right? Like we, we have seen him be relied upon in the Israeli league, but it's my understanding that the Israeli league is like not necessarily the, the highest like tier of competition. It's like, you know, roughly equivalent to like a, you know, mid-major type situation in college. Um, does does that give you any pause, or am I am I wrong about the level of competition in the in the Israeli league? I mean, I I don't I wouldn't go that far. I think that it, it is one of the lower tier leagues among the major ones in Europe, definitely. Um, and it's made that way because there's a rule that they need to have multiple Israeli born players on the floor at all times, and that really limits kind of the the guys who you would normally see in like Euro league for Maccabi Tel Aviv. They aren't playing as regularly in the Israeli league because of that rule. And you're seeing much more of kind of the more like college level guys. I would say that that league is more akin to like a power, a power conference in, in college, because you got to remember these are still adults. These are still guys who are being paid to play basketball. Um, A lot of the American born players are former major college players. Um, So I, I think that they're, is a little bit of a misconception with that, that I don't think that the level of competition is Luka Doncic level. It's not as impressive as what he's, what he did. And it's not as impressive as what Killing Hayes does because the German league is a top flight European league, but it's, it's still, I think on par with what a lot of the college players are, are producing this year in terms of how he's playing versus the level of competition. Okay. Okay, I buy, I buy that. That makes that makes sense to me. I can I'm willing to be wrong about that one. Honestly, I'm not tuning in for uh, Tel Aviv games if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, but I did I did want to talk to you a little bit about Devin Vassell as a guy who's been kind of shooting up uh, draft boards during this process. What has uh, what's caused his rise? Is it just like the off movement shooting and the team defense? Is it uh, the like small flashes of self creation he he shows every now and then? Uh, what, what are you seeing with uh, with him? I think it's a little bit of that. Um, I think that his his pull up jumper is really not utilized in the way that I think it could be at the next level. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Florida State is just such a deep team. They have so many uh, playmakers and creators who you would much more comfortably rely on than having Vassal do that and having him provide spacing is so important to what they do. But the limited options, the opportunities that we've seen from him have all been looked really good. So I think that there is a potential that he could end up being a lot more as a self-creator than what he's shown in college. And the defense at the same time is just 
shown itself to be so good. It's so versatile. He defends everybody on the floor. Um, he's not as sound as of a positional defender as I would say Okoro is, where Okoro is legitimately a lockdown guy um, across multiple positions, one-on-one. But Vassal is a much better, I think, much better suited as a team defender to be able to contribute right away at the small forward position, just because of his ability to cover a lot of ground, um, his length, which matters a lot. Um, he is a little bit longer than a Coro. Um, and also just his kind of instincts across the board on the defensive end are so strong that I think that that, co- that combined with the potential that he could be a lot more than just a spot up three point shooter at the next level I mean, you got to bet on a guy like that. I, I think it's it's all the same reasons that we kind of bought into Jarrett Culver last year, um, kind of or kind of a little bit more muted because he doesn't have the same type of handle, but also I think more functional for the NBA level because he is such a good shooter off the ball. Okay, what about uh, what about Vassal's teammate Patrick Williams? He's also a guy that kind of rose up your big board a little bit, a uh, little bit less versatile offensively. But uh, and I'm not quite sure about him as a defender. Uh, what can you tell me about Patrick Williams? He he's another guy who's a, who's a pretty good defensive prospect. Um, he's kind of a full time four, I would say, um, just because he is a lot bigger and a little bit less agile. Um, and I think that that's going to limit him at the next level. But he's shown a little bit of a handle. He's shown a little bit of shooting potential, and is even shown a little bit of a potential to be able to create off the pick and roll, which is great. Um, and then defensively, he projects as a pretty solid rim protector, even though he's a little bit undersized. Um, diagnoses well, makes good plays um in in the pick and roll um when he's when he's involved on ball i think that he's really impressive and i see him as a guy who is kind of like a ball of clay a little bit where there's a lot of different development avenues that i think that he can take um because he's shown so many kind of quirky skills the handle um the rim protection i think that you can make him into into a really good player in a lot of different contexts so that's why he's kind of risen up the board for me for a guy that's so versatile, though, you know, what do you what do you envision his his best situation ending up being from a you know, not from a role perspective, not like an individual team perspective? Oh, yeah, I think I think that a good a good situation would maybe be something like Boston, um, where, you know, he's maybe playing next to a really intelligent kind of backline defender Um you know, maybe maybe having him play, you know, in Utah with Rudy Gobert would be a good fit. Um, having him play next to um, next to the Portland bigs like Zach Collins, Hassan Whiteside, um, guy, guys who make a lot of good plays defensively and can kind of be your anchor. And then he's kind of providing like the weak side help. I project his defensive role to be a lot similar to how I projected Zion Williamson's defensive role to be, where he's not your primary anchor, but he's the guy who's kind of blowing things up on the backside. And I think that that's kind of where where he fits. And then also, you know, multiple multiple playmakers around him, and um, a team that runs at a at a high tempo that can make uh, use of his transition ability, which is very solid. Um, I, I think that that's kind of the best fit. So you know, high high tempo with multiple creators and a true center who can kind of anchor the defense and allow him to just go make plays. I think is a pretty optimal setup. Okay. Okay. So we're still talking about the wings. We've kind of gone through the the top four-ish kind of guys. Um, 
Oh, we haven't talked about like Josh Green, but I'm not particularly interested in, in Josh Green. But one guy that uh, was kind of predicted to be in this range, in this top range, was Jaden McDaniels. But you have him all the way down at 37. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong about that, but I, I just kind of want to know like what what the gap is between uh, what we expected out of Jaden coming into this year and what he's actually shown. And is there is there room for him to be developed like into something more at, at the NBA level. I definitely think there is, but it's not going to come in the way that we predicted that his role was going to be at the next level and the way that Washington is playing him. Um, the main causes for concern with McDaniels is he has a very thin frame and is not really going to be able to add a ton of strength to his, his body. And that has manifested itself in him looking like he is running into a brick wall and getting into a car accident every time he drives into the lane. You know, he does not deal with contact well at all. He has finally started finishing at what I would call an acceptable level um, over, over the last month or so. But even then, that's him getting up to 55% finishing at the at the rim. And you want a guy, especially who's 6'10", to be floating up it towards at least like 65%. Um, to really reliably say that he's going to be a good finisher at the NBA level. Um, so he's a ways off on that. He also doesn't make a lot of good passing reads um, when he's driving into the lane, really struggles, I think, with vision when he's in the trees and trying to score. Um, and that really limits the potential that he's going to be this primary creator type that a lot of people build him as. Now, I think there is an NBA role for him. I think that he does well when he's asked to do off-ball things. He's a decent shooter, and he passes pretty well on the perimeter, and he's a very good defender as, as well. I think that he's a good defensive prospect, even if the strength is going to limit him against against bigs, and he's kind of locked into being on the perimeter. Um, but I think that that is going to end up being a question of if he buys in to playing in that off-ball role, and if he gets in a good environment that's going to allow him to kind of develop the strengths while not necessarily allowing him to kind of mess around with the weaknesses, I think that he can end up being a pretty good NBA player. But if he's billed as this guy who is going to come in and be a scorer and he tries to be a scorer at the NBA level, he, he he's really going to struggle. You know, I the guy that you – you guys or the listeners and, and you are going to be acutely uh, remember when I bring up his name as a comparison, he's a lot like Stanley Johnson where he's a guy who has a lot of talents and has a lot of ways that he should be impacting the game, but it just, it just never happens because he's busy trying to be something that he's not. Okay. Okay. So now that's good because, you know, preseason, there was a thought like, oh, you know, 6'10 guy, skinny, good with the ball in his hands, half-decent shooter, like he's Brandon Ingram. And very clearly he's not going to end up being that. So it does kind of matter what his median-level outcome is going to be and, you know, what kind of situation he's he's thrust into in uh, in that role. So, you know, Stanley's obviously like floating in between here in the G League. You know, Ingram was an all-star this past – like this current season – um, you know, if you had to pick a guy kind of in between those two spaces to compare McDaniels to, who, who would it be? Oh, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I would compare him to maybe like a Dario Saric type where, you know, he's maybe a guy who it can be like a really good like sixth or seventh man um, because he does bring a little bit of playmaking juice. Um, 
tall, you know, tall, skinny, but never, never really fits into one position or one role that really kind of makes him like a really effective player. Um, I think that is the type of guy that he's going to be if he does end up becoming a good enough finisher to be able to stick. Um, I think that he's going to be a guy who, you know, is going to bring some value to a team, is going to be able to be useful in certain lineups, but is never going to be a guy who I think you can rely on consistently to be an impact player on a good team. I love the cross-racial comparison, too. That's great. Always good when I can do that. that. (laughs) So I want to go back to the point guards. Uh, first guy I want to ask you about is Tyrese Halliburton. You weren't really high on Halliburton the last time we spoke. Uh, you called him a high-level backup, uh, and that was before the wrist injury that kind of ended his college career. Uh, why? Why is that? I didn't really press you on that during uh, the last year, last week's pod because I didn't have time to. But you know, you know, why? Uh, why a high-level backup for Tyrese Halliburton? Well, I think I think that he fits in more. Of, of like a George Hill type role where, you know, he's not a guy who you're going to be able to rely on. Like I said before, um, as, as like an engine guy, I don't think that he's a guy who you can just give the ball and have him bring the ball up the floor every time and ask him to create a bunch of opportunities and have that go well. I think that he's a guy who's going to much rather fit playing in kind of like an off ball role after he brings the ball up and initiates the offense. And then you can really weaponize his playmaking in advantage situations. You know, he's a guy who doesn't get to the rim very consistently out of the pick and roll, cannot shoot out of the pick and roll at all. Um, So that kind of limits his self-creation ability, but he's really good at knowing what he's good at and knowing when opportunities for him to be able to create good shots are going to present themselves. So I think you put him in a role where maybe he's playing off other ball handlers, off other creators, and I think that he's going to be met with a lot more success. Um, I just think that his – he is a total boomer bust guy in terms of his skills. He either has elite level skills or completely absent skills. And those types of guys are usually your high level backups. Um, the guys who have legitimate like top level NBA skill, but have glaring weaknesses also. That's the type of guy Halliburton is to me. Wow. Okay. I I, I had not thought I had not thought of him as, you know, having major weaknesses, but you know, in the knowledge that he can't really shoot off the dribble. It it's weird because you don't like we're not asking point guards anymore to like pull up from fifteen feet on on a dime in the pick and roll anymore. We're asking them to either you know be able to shoot threes uh, off of picks or get all the way to the rim. And I did wonder about the finishing, but he's got the length that and like the change of pace ability that I think he'd be able to to man be able to like manifest itself well in scoring. But you're right in that like you know if you can't. Pull, take a pull-up dribble and shoot like that that's a really limiting factor if you're trying to run an offense makes you predictable yeah it's it's the shot the defense is gonna is gonna give you so you need that shot that that's what it comes down yeah. to for primary guys um you need yeah. that in that in between just as an option yeah yeah so the and the last guy i wanted to ask you about was tyrell terry who was off your big board in uh january slash december and is 15th now and he plays at Stanford, and I know Stanford is like, I'm pretty sure they're not a good basketball team. So I have literally never heard of this dude before I saw him on your big board. <laughs> what can you tell me about Tyrell Terry? He is your closest thing to like a Trey Young um, this season. He is the guy who his senior skill is the pull-up three-point shooting. 
And that makes him a really effective weapon um, and a guy who, you know, teams are going to gravitate towards. He is undersized, just like uh, just like Young was. He plays under more control than uh, than Trey does. And I think that that's a point to, uh, to him. But at the same time, he's not the same type of passer that that Young was. So he's really, I think, kind of more in like the bench scorer role where I think he's going to be a guy who can come in and maybe give you a Lou Williams type game every uh, or consistently where, you know, he's, he's giving you 18, 20 points off the bench and he is like a nominal starter, but he's tasked with running your second units. I think that he, that's the type of role that he's going to fit in in the league. Um, I would put him in kind of like the last, he's like the last guy I think has potential to be like a starter level guy in this, in this draft class. Um, but I think his best role is going to come kind of in that way. Um, but yeah, he, he, uh, he is consistently kind of doing, doing the same type of thing that Trey Young did where Stanford is not a good basketball team. There's not a lot of talent around him, but he consistently makes that team better and makes that offense go. And, um, he truly can be, I think, I think an engine guy if he develops as a finisher and if he develops as a passer at the next level. Is he as bad defensively as Trey and Lou will? No, that's that's another point towards him is that he's actually a very positionally sound defender. I mean, he's always going to have issues just like every a point guard who's under 6'3 is just because of the lack of length and uh, the lack of size. But he's he's pretty good at the point of attack, and he's pretty good defending point guards off ball. And I think that he can he can make it work on the defensive end. You can build a good defense with him at the point of attack, and I I think that that's a, that's a point towards him that kind of helps raise the bar for him as opposed to a guy like Nico Mannion, who I think fits a similar role um, in kind of that like high level backup option, but is going to be a mess defensively at, at the NBA level uh, just because of the lack of athleticism. All right, Trevor, that's pretty much all the guys I had specifically to ask you about. I did want to ask you about which guys could improve their stock around tournament time. There's always, you know, one or two guys that really uh, perform well during March Madness and that affects their draft stock. You think of like your Dante DiVincenzo's, uh, your Kemba Walker's during the Big East tournament, et cetera. Who who could be those guys uh, this year? Um, I, I can drop a couple names. Obi Toppin is an obvious one um, because if Dayton gets to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight, I think you can pencil him in as a top five guy. Um, I think I think teams are going to kind of fall in love with his scoring ability, and I think I think that his athleticism is also going to wow teams. And even though I think he has significant limitations at the next level. I, I think he's probably going to be a guy who's going to float around the top five if that happens. Um, I think that the Florida State guys are all going to be able to improve their stock because I think that's a loaded team that's built for March. Um, so Vassal um, and Patrick Williams, I think they can have their stock grow. Um, and then kind of an out-of-nowhere out name, uh, pay, well, not out-of-nowhere to college, but probably to the NBA fan, Peyton Pritchard of Oregon. Um, he is not a guy I would consider an NBA guy just because he is not really that athletic and doesn't really do things at an NBA level that you would expect like an NBA level point guard to be able to bring, but he is just a phenomenal college basketball player. And I think that he is going to end up being kind of that legacy guy who, you know, you take the body of work of his college career and an NBA team is going to say, well, we might as well try to to see if it works at the next level. And I think if Oregon goes deep in the tournament, he he could end up being a guy who goes in the back half of the first round, kind of like Shabazz Napier did. Um, 
and maybe end up carving out a career that he otherwise may not have been able to get because he didn't get the opportunity. Um, and that all I think hinges on how well he performs in March. Yeah. I, I have heard Peyton Pritchard's name come up more lately. And so I've actually, I've actually heard of him. So like, I'm actually pleased that uh, I know that guy. All right. And uh, now the last question I wanted to ask you, who are some like hidden draft Twitter guys that, uh, that we can, that we can talk about? Who are the guys that, draft Twitter is going to love and that, uh, you know, maybe college fans aren't not, not, not going to necessarily uh, be fans of. So we already talked about Terry, who is definitely one of those guys. Xavier Tillman of Michigan state is a, me personally, that that's my guy that that I love. He, I think, is just built to be a third big in, in the NBA. He just does everything that you want an NBA big to be able to do in terms of his ability to defend in the pick and roll, to be able to stonewall guys in the post. Um, he can shoot a little bit. He can pass a little bit. Um, is a pretty good pick and roll finisher. Just does everything everything that you would want a guy like that to do. Um, another guy who I think is going to be a big draft Twitter name that, you know, isn't going to get a lot of press is David Johnson of Louisville. He has not been a starter for Louisville this season, but he's six, five legitimate uh, NBA size. And he's probably the second best passer in the draft. Um, but, or I would probably put him like right behind, um, Halliburton in terms of his passing ability. And I think that he's a guy who I have a low suspicion is going to come out this year, but if he does, you're going to hear a lot about from draft Twitter because he is a, a guy that a lot of us are falling in love with just because of his size and, and creation ability and his ability to defend multiple positions in the backcourt. What about Grant Riller? Oh, I love me some Grant Riller. Um, he, he's a, he's another good, good one. I think another guy who's kind of built for that, like Jalen Brunson type role um, where he, he's, I think, a uh, like a backup point guard game manager type. Um, he is not the best athlete, but he is so good at getting into the paint despite that at the college level has done it against high level competition as well as against the Colonial Athletic Association that uh, his school college of Charleston plays in. I think that he's a guy who um, projects really well as like maybe like an eighth or ninth man behind like an elite point guard who's kind of coming in and kind of controlling the minutes that that guy is sitting. Um, so maybe he's only tasked with playing like 15 minutes a game, but he's giving you high level competent play and kind of carrying over and making sure that the offense has somebody to run it at all times. Yeah. Grant, Grant's the name like, that's the draft Twitter dude like I keep seeing is mm-hmm. like and I you know because he plays in such a small conference I have no idea who this dude is but you keep seeing his clips and I gotta that's the name that was on my list anyway thank you so much Trevor for your time truly appreciate it we'll probably have you on again you know right before draft time if that doesn't get pushed back which is a situation we're just not really gonna talk about on this podcast but uh, yeah let people know where they can find you where they can find your work uh, let them know how they can follow you on social media. Let them know. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Illegal Screens. You can find my writing at The Step Back, um, as well as at Fear the Sword, although that may not be a, a, of as big of interest to Pistons fans going to a Cleveland Cavaliers site. That is where you're going to find my personal board. I'll probably be putting out another update of that probably sometime late next week, um, kind of updating things as we get into going into the tournament. I always like to do a, one right before and right after um, and just kind of let the tournament play itself out. Out. 
over the, over that month. Um, so you can expect that coming in the next week. All right, I, I will keep an eye out for those. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I also host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, which you can find wherever you find podcasts like the one you are currently listening to. Uh, And this has been Pistons versus everybody. And we will talk to y'all next week.